I appreciate that golf clap from the front row. I can always, I can always, I can always count on Rachel. If I can't, on, I can't count on anybody else. Is that the enabler, galvanizer back there? We've just had a, a great time today, those of you that were with us. And uh, last night, uh, I'm still recovering from the dance-off. Uh, not, not physically myself, just my, my mind is scarred uh, from a couple of moves that people that are supposed to be leading and pastoring, uh, making some moves that just uh, have damaged me. But sincerely... Uh, I, am, I am thrilled to be here, uh, to think that in the midst of COVID, this building sprung up yeah. by the grace of God. Yeah. And I just say to this church, well done. Yeah. And, I, and I say to so many of you that have endured and persevered yes. through not just one crisis, not just a pandemic. But economic crisis, political crisis, racism, and the fact that you're still in the game just thrills my soul. And I just want to say to you, I I think I could just say this from the Lord, well done for staying in the game, for persevering, for not giving up. I was thinking today, and I know... We're going to be keep referencing things that were said today, and some of you weren't here for that, but just uh, go with us for a second. But today, as I was listening to Becky and uh, Ben Durbin yeah. talking about the trials they've been through, and to hear them say, I wouldn't trade it. I'm so glad I didn't quit, and I just want to say to you, brother, I'm so glad you didn't quit either. So glad. You're such a blessing to my life. And uh, Rachel and Brian, so many good times that we've shared, and Chad and Jen, and uh, to meet new ones, new friends, and my brother Eric Santiago from D.C., and uh, Steve Spoon, so glad you're looking in with us uh, to consider. Uh, We think we already know what you're supposed to do, but um, you just follow the Lord. So I'd I'd like to... I'd like to read a few verses and then dive in uh, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 3, verses 2 through 6, if you'll just pull it up on your devices. It it makes me feel like you're paying attention, even if you aren't. (laughs) You're like, you can be on something, you know, Instagram or whatever, but if you see this and like, okay, they're with me, yay. Verse 2, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. 
and verse 16. The other 316 you ought to memorize. John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whom, whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And Luke, same book, at the end of the book, verse 49, the words of Jesus. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay, somebody say stay, stay. in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Somebody say on high. I want to talk with us a little bit about being spirit-empowered. I know that this is a value of this movement. It's something that I feel like God has been stirring in me about the importance of preparation. You know, there's an art to being well-prepared, and you guys that are on staff here have done so well, but because we've hosted before, we know the kind of stuff that's going on behind the scenes, all the work, how the volunteers are on high alert, and all of us are traipsing all over your building and making it dirty and all that, and you guys are just this beautiful place that so much blood, sweat, and tears, and money, and praying, and probably wrote scriptures on the concrete. Did you guys, you know, all that stuff that you do to prepare for people to come, and that's a beautiful thing, uh, the art of preparation. Before I got married, preparing for guests was a simple thing. You know, you just pick things up off the floor, and you guys know what I'm talking about when I say pick up things off the floor. You wash a few linens, you put some pretzels and chips out on the counter, and bam, done. I prepared, man, and after I got married, we took preparation to a whole other level, heavenly level, because I, I learned I learned things that, about preparation I, I never knew before. I, you know, she started cleaning places that nobody ever sees. And I'm thinking, why are we doing this, babe? Because nobody's going to be in the, the, the back of our closet. But yeah, but it just makes me feel like everything's ready. And so she's, she's cleaning those places nobody ever sees. And uh, fluffing pillows and candles and uh, fragrance, aroma. You know, before I got married, uh, people would come, uh, guys would come over to my house, and sometimes they'd come in the door and they go, smells like Sean. And I realized that that was not a compliment. You know, it's like, I, I, I don't know what that means, but I don't think it's good. And now people come over and they'll say, it's such a, such a peaceful feeling in this home. It's so calm and peaceful. And I, and I think, yes, I know all the science behind it now. My wife has taught me about colors that I, the things I never knew that there, did you guys know there are cold colors and warm colors? I, I, you know, I, I feel, I feel the wall and I say, it feels the same to me. I don't understand. It's like, no, this is a cold color, babe. And this is why we have warm colors because it makes people feel warm. Who knew? So 
My wife has helped me so much in this way. You remember the, some of you guys are old enough to remember the movie uh, Field of Dreams. Anybody remember that movie? And the line in it that said, if you build it, they will come. And I remember in the 80s and 90s, you know, the, the thought was, and I'd hear guys who were uh, pastors and leaders, they would say, yeah, this is actually sort of a Christian principle. If you just build a beautiful big building, people will come. And the truth was, in those days, it almost worked. I mean, people would, you just open a, a, a beautiful building, put a sign up outside, and people would go, wow, you know, let's, let's go to the cool new, new building. And, and, and guests would come. And then the American dream sort of took off in the 80s and 90s. And people became more prosperous. And then the American dream sort of took over our lives with uh, sports. And uh, we had more spare time and more spare change to go on vacations. And, 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 and suddenly the, the middle class uh, began to have home theater systems. And then we, it's like we don't have to attend church just as much. And suddenly cool buildings and coffee in the lobby and cool lights and hip clothes on stage just didn't seem to get it. And, and believe me, I, I, we do all those things. We're still, you know, we're trying to tell people, look, don't stay stuck in the 90s. Let's, let's, let's bring the level up just a little bit with the clothes, you know, and we, you know, we're trying to, we're trying to help people. Let's not have barricades for people to, to worship while they're looking at you, you know, let's, let's, let's raise the bar. And, and so we, we have all those things, but my, the question I've been wrestling with is, am I preparing people for Jesus? And are we doing everything we can to not just prepare the room, but prepare our hearts, prepare our churches for this Jesus that Dr. Luke talks about? He gives us background here on John the Baptist, and he, he references Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. And he pulls this and says, this is what John was doing, and this is why he was doing it. In, in Luke, he says, he was fulfilling the words of Isaiah, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. And, and I was looking at this and looking back at Isaiah the way Isaiah wrote it. And I know punch, punctuation in the, in the scriptures, it's not inspired necessarily, but it's interesting where they put the comma and the quotes in Luke. Because in Luke, it says, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, quote, prepare the way of the Lord. But when you go back to Isaiah, notice where the punctuation begins. It's like Isaiah is saying, the Lord says, in the wilderness, prepare the way. Now, John is in the wilderness, and I know, you know, so either it could go either way, but I think it's something for us to think about. Is this true? Do we need to prepare the way in the wilderness? Have we found ourselves in a wilderness? Is our world in a wilderness? That means 
wild place. Anybody feel like you've been in a wild place? It's like, yes, every day. Every day it's a new wild place. And Isaiah seems to say the wilderness needs preparation. The wildness of my heart, the wildness of the world, the wildness of people that come through our doors need prepared. And and what is the preparation? So John's mission is is preparing the wilderness. Let's make a way because when we make way for Jesus, something fantastic can happen in the wilderness. So John is saying, when Christ is revealed, Christ will be revealed, rather, when the way is prepared. I think that's part of the point, that preparation is the invitation for Jesus. Somehow that if I can even prepare my heart, that perhaps it becomes, as the Old Testament says, one of the Psalms says, lift up your heads, O ye gates, and what? The King of glory will come in. There's some way that we can actually, I know that God is sovereign, we can't make him do anything, but there's something about when people are hungering and thirsting after God, that God says, yes, that's my invitation. But John is addressing a particular sin for Israel in chapter 3, and it follows, as you read through this chapter, things he said, you know, like brood of vipers. That's a real seeker-sensitive phrase, isn't it? (laughs) Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? In verse 8, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. So what is John saying? He's saying, don't put confidence in your spiritual heritage, in your legacy. Say, no, you don't know the line that I've come from. I've kind of arrived. I really don't. I don't need to repent. And John is saying, no, dog, you don't get it. You are not ready. But many received his word, and and they repented. And this is the part I've been thinking about. How do I prepare myself for his fresh incoming? How do we prepare people who don't know Jesus to meet Jesus who baptizes with the Holy Spirit? How do we prepare hearts? And this seems to be a piece of it, repentance. And, And I want us to get back to the root of what repentance really is. Because repentance is not just stop doing bad things and start doing nice things. I mean, you guys are gospel people. You understand this. It's so much more than that. Amen? But it's something deeper. It is, it is the heart behind the sin. It is the sin behind the sin. As it was here, yeah, yeah, it comes out in the, in the actions of everyday life, but beneath that is an unbelief. There's an idol. There's something else that's at the root of this sin. That's like for me. So I'll just be transparent. One of mine is I get ticked off when people tailgate me. Yes. Are you one of the tailgaters? That's good. And, and what do I do? It makes me want to slow down. Yeah. I'm just going to, you think I'm not going fast enough? I'm going to go slower. And then when they finally pull around, what do I want to do? 
oh yeah, I want to make life as difficult as I can for them. And I have known a man that shall remain nameless that gets on their tail and rides it. And I want you guys to know I have repented of that action. (laughs) But here's what I'm learning to do is to listen to that voice that asked me a few questions before I act out. When I feel that rising up within me, to listen to that voice that says, Sean, have you ever been in a hurry before? Have you ever driven in such a way that you probably have angered someone else? And do you think that you're the only one that has a tight schedule today? Do you think that your schedule is more important than theirs? And I start to realize that the sin of what I'm feeling and that anger is rooted actually in pride. That I'm more important than they are in this moment. Now, I know I'm talking to people that are much more mature than I am. And that you can't relate to any of this, but just bear with me, my friends. Uh, Tony Reinke says this, at root, sin is not wrongdoing, it's wrong adoring. Sin is riveting our hearts on any treasure or security that replaces the treasure and security we can only find in God. The sin. What is the sin that John the Baptist is getting at, this blockage? It's a different kind of atheism. It's virtual atheism. It's saying that I I don't know that I don't believe in God, but I'm pretty good without him. And if he can just sort of add to my life and give me some things that will help my life to be less stressful, if I can have more of a trouble-free existence, that's that's the kind of God I'm, I'm looking for. Let me keep doing my life the way I've been doing it, but just get rid of the obstacles in my life. And John is saying this is the reason that the Messiah has not been revealed. Do you know that people that knew the Scriptures deeply did not even recognize Messiah when he was here? So sin is not simply doing bad stuff. It's a heart that's satisfied with the temporary instead of the eternal. It's the status quo instead of the supernatural. You say, I'm good. You know, I got saved. I got baptized. I'm serving. So I'm kind of good. It's virtual atheism. And at the root is what I think about when I think about God, as A.W. Tozer says, or what I don't think about. My confidence, our confidence, the people that walk through our doors, our confidence and identity in Christian nationalism, for example. When when God is wanting our hearts, he's wanting to do something fresh 
and new within us. So, so I can sometimes think that the problem is COVID, or the problem is the government, or the problem is mask, or the problem uh, is vaccinations, uh, or it's not the it's that we don't spend enough on stage lighting or acoustics or all those things. And and at the root of that, I want to just ask myself: Am I doing enough to prepare for the coming of Jesus in our midst, in my heart, among our people? How am I doing with this call to preparation is the next question. How are you doing? How are we doing with the call, John the Baptist kind of call, to say, prepare the way of the Lord? Because he wants to he wants to baptize people who don't know Jesus with the Holy Spirit, but he also wants to come in fresh ways among us. How am I doing with this call? You know, John the Baptist, he was just a little bit weird, amen? Anybody? It's like, you know, anybody that wears animal skins, I guess that's sort of cool in some circles. Uh, honey and locusts, I mean, you know, would he, would he get a cameo maybe on... Uh, Bear Grylls, uh, you know, Man versus Wild or something. It might be cool there, but for most people, we'd say, you know, that kind of guy, that kind of ministry, that kind of office just isn't, it's not very cool. And sometimes I can feel that way. It's like, I don't want that kind of role. I don't want that kind of ministry. I want people to like me. I want, I want quotables. I want, I want them to go viral. I want people to go, oh, that was awesome, Sean, wow. You know, I don't want the ministry of prepare the way of the Lord, repent. But this is part of our calling. And some part of that calling is not cool. Let's just face it. Telling people to change their ways, telling people to give up Christian nationalism, telling people that, look, we're we have hidden racism in our hearts. That's not fun. Not that our whole message every week is to say, you know, what is the worst thing you've done this week? Come up and confess and we'll pray for you. You know, that's, that's not, I'm not saying that, but this, this, this repentance that comes from our heart to say, God, please show up. God, please wreck my heart and change me so that you're the most important thing in my life. I, I don't want to be John the Baptist. I want to be cool. I want I want to I want to look like a linebacker like Brian Barr. I you know I I I want to accent like Adam. I want to talk like I want to sound. I, I, instead, what you get is this guy from the Midwest with a southern twinge to his voice and uh, skinny legs. If you guys could see these catfish belly legs, you would just like you, oh, just, oh please you know cover up. But part of my calling is, is to be uncool sometimes. And John had it right when he says, he must increase. I must decrease. I know this is not fun for Americans. It's not fun for me either. But listen, if Jesus is going to increase, what does that mean? Where does that put us? That means that sometimes I have to get out of the way. But here's the good part that Jesus says, Luke 24 and 49, wait. 
wait because you will be clothed with power. Not clothed with coolness, not clothed with relevance, not clothed with hipness. You'll be clothed with power, but not just any power, not political power, not celebrity status. You'll be clothed with power from on high. Listen, that's a good place for an amen right there. On high. Power from on high. This is the good part. If preparation is the invitation, if Jesus will increase, if Jesus reveals himself in our wilderness, he will do something awesome. He will baptize us with the Holy Spirit and fire. Listen, uh, John the Baptist is trying to tell us how great Jesus is compared to who he is. Did you catch it? He says, I'm not worthy to lace up his Nikes. I baptize you with water. What will he baptize you with? The Holy Spirit and fire. He's like saying, look, I'm a, I'm a AAA battery. He's the power generator. I got a little candle here. He's the light of a million suns. I mop the gym floor. He shows up and it's like Steph Curry and Barkley and Matumbo all together, better than all of them. Or like John Piper said, it's, it's like the, the difference between a baptism and water, John's baptism and Jesus' baptism, it's like lightning bug, lightning. Yeah. Off the charts, off the chain. And, and I, I wonder sometimes that we kind of lose this. We say, do you know all the Gospels say he will baptize you? This is how John baptizes. What's the mark of Jesus? What's the distinction of him? He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Do you get that? Do we, get, do we live like that? When people get saved, do you say, do you understand that now... As a child of God, the Holy Spirit lives in you. And we just go, oh, yeah, 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 that's cool. No, the Holy Spirit, man. The Holy, we don't live like that. We don't preach like that. I don't preach like that. I don't pray like that. I don't sing like that. I don't share my faith like the Holy Spirit is living in me. That Jesus has baptized me with the Holy Spirit. I'm not sure why I don't remind myself of that more often, to remind our people. In my tradition, we, we baptize with water, and then shortly after, you'd march them up to, you know, some super kind of prophet evangelist, and he would lay his hands on you, and you know, and you, until you got it, and it would shake you, you know, until you were filled with the Holy Ghost, and that's the way they said it. They said it like, Holy Ghost. And when they said it, it was like, I don't know if I want the Holy Ghost. It's like, oh, it's, it's kind of scaring me, man. You know, as a kid like that. And, and we kind of lost some of that. Because, and I want to be very clear. I'm not talking about 
you know, you, you get saved and then you get, you know, somewhere down the line you get the, the, the next blessing. I'm not talking, I'm just talking about maybe third blessing, fourth blessing, fifth blessing, sixth blessing. That we just say, man, we still need the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I received him when Jesus came into my life. So did the Holy Spirit, by the way. Because it's not like, I tell folks when, in our new members class, say, it's not like when you invite Jesus, the Holy Spirit says, well, wait, I'm over here. I'm just going to wait for a while. No, when Jesus comes in, the Holy Spirit comes in. But we need to understand how we need to sometimes get less of me and more of him because I can be filled with myself. Come on, don't leave me alone up here. Can anybody else? It's like, yeah, it's I'm sometimes full of myself instead of the Holy Spirit. Why else would Paul the Apostle say in Ephesians 5 and 19, be filled with the Spirit. It's continuous, progressive, present. Be being filled with the Spirit. If that wasn't something we participate in, somehow we prepare and invite and make room for the Holy Spirit. My friends, the intensity of the battle is rising. There is a dark force. You guys know it is breathing down our necks every day. Evil. Do we need the power of the Holy Spirit? Or we say, oh, we're pretty good without him. No. I can't do this without him. Uh, Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 5, he says, because our gospel came, our gospel One of the favorite words of events. It's a cherished word to me too. Our gospel came to you not only in what? Word, but in what? Also in power. And in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. Ray Ortland Jr. says the gospel ministry is not a gig. It's not a performance. It's not a platform. Here is my blunt conclusion. He says, it seems to me with the pressures of our historical moment intensifying upon us all, we pastors, and I'd say leaders, must decide which way we'll go. If all we want is doctrine and we don't open up to the Spirit's power in these two ways, word and power, If we don't open up in this way, these two ways, let's admit we really don't believe the doctrine because it comes together. Word and spirit. Word and power. February 3rd, 1970, in Kentucky, Asbury College, chapel service began like it always began. You know, kind of like three, sermon, three songs in a poem and a prayer, and, and they're done. That day it was different. Spontaneous confessions begin. Repentance. Confessions. That service lasted all day into the night for seven days, continuous confession, prayer, worship, they tell me, and, and one, I know a guy who was there real close to the time that this happened. 
The service was scheduled to end in just an hour. But every day, this confession and repentance continued. And they talk about the weight of the Holy Spirit. Crowds standing, kneeling, every spot filled. And this continued and actually spread to other campuses around our nation. We can't create something like that again. We can't demand that it happens again. But I think we can prepare that in some way that John can help us, that we say, you know, just frequently just saying, I can't do this without you. Jesus, please. And, and he is so faithful to come into the person who says, yeah, just be a child. Just be hungry. Just be thirsty. That's the place where Jesus goes, okay, that's my invitation. I, I'm, I'm going to come, my friends. This is not optional. We can't do this without the power of the Spirit. Do we hear the heart of Jesus who says, do not leave. Wait for the promise of the Father. You're going to be clothed with power. We can't do this without him. In my tradition, it was like, okay, we've got to tarry, we've got to wait, we've got to beg Jesus to baptize us with the Holy Spirit. Oh, no, I know, that, I, know that, I know how that doctrine's a little squirrely, but I think sometimes we could learn from a little bit of that and just say, uh, God, we're just waiting for you. Yes. And, and so often I've like moved out and moved forward without saying, no, I, I'm just going to wait. I'm going to wait for Jesus to show me what to do. I'm going to wait for Jesus to baptize me with the Holy Spirit. Maybe that we can adjust our attitude, my attitude. Maybe this is just for me, my confession here tonight. To say, oh Jesus. We say once again, we cannot do this without you and the Holy Spirit empowering us, enabling us to love. Man, I can't even make it through traffic without it. You know, I can't. I can't. And, and who are we to think that in these days, in these hours, that we could actually do this without him? We can't. So maybe, maybe you would join me in these last few minutes, Josh, if you would come. Maybe there's a way that we could just say, yeah, here, Lord. Just we, we, we prepare our rooms and we prepare the carpet and we prepare the chairs and we, you know, we do all this. Are we preparing in other ways to say, Holy Spirit, Jesus, you promised. He's so good for it. He's so faithful to do it. So, Jesus, we confess our need of you. Forgive me for the moments, the times that I have gone ahead without you. And my attitude has said something like, I got this. We don't have it. With you, we can do all things, yes. 
But in those moments where we have forged ahead without your spirit or thought that we, we've got this figured out, we don't have it figured out. If anything that we've learned in these last 18 months, we don't have it figured out. You know the future and you know what my friends are going to face. And we're, we're so glad. So we take such comfort in this reality. It says, you will, you will be clothed with power from on high. Not political power, not coolness, hipness, and all those things. But with this power from on high. It's beyond yourself. So we receive. 